Hello, and welcome to today's episode. Today, I am talking with Re- Rebecca Wildbear about her book, Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to helping you live your best life through self-care and wellness. Each episode, we strive to offer you actionable advice and tools to help you on your journey towards greater personal wellness. I am your host, Amy Zellmer. I am editor-in-chief of Minnesota Yoga and Life magazine and the Brain Health magazine, and I'm author of the Chair Yoga Pocket Guide due out in April. I am passionate about yoga, wellness, photography, travel, and all things glittery. You can learn more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, my guest is Rebecca Wildbear. And she is the author of Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. She is also the creator of a yoga practice called Wild Yoga, which empowers individuals to tune into the mysteries that live within the earth community, dreams, and their own wild nature so that they may live a life of creative service. She has been leading wild yoga programs since 2007 and also guides nature and soul programs through Animal Animus Valley Institute. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. I'm so happy to have you here. And I see your little doggy in the background. That makes me so happy. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really glad to be here as well. And yeah, Xander makes me happy too. <laughs> I always love when pets show up on Zoom. It just makes me <laughs> smile. <laughs> so, Rebecca, welcome. Um, where would you like to start? Um, would you maybe like to give us a little bit of your background and and how you've come to uh, being an author? Sure, um, I will. Uh, there, there, there's plenty to say, especially related to what the topics that you have just brought up, um, yoga and, and health and wellness. And so there's a lot of parts The the book is contains stories about my whole life, as well as practices that have helped me and that I offer to people that I guide uh, in my programs and individually. So a lot of what led me to writing my book is, well, the story of my life. So just a couple of highlights, you know, one, um, I had cancer when I was 21. So I was definitely uh, thrown into the that sense of unwellness, which is yeah. also often one of those things that helps motivate us back toward physical wellness, and also the listening that goes in in part with that. When our body is sick, there's like a communication from the body, like what's going on here, what do I need to do different. So that was a, that's been a big part of my journey, and certainly changed my life at an, an early age when. That age, you know, when you're 21, when you feel superhuman, like you can just do about mm-hmm. it, your body will keep going. Um, and then uh, when I was um, in my uh, early 30s, I became a yoga teacher. So, and uh, I also lived in Costa Rica for the winter, studying yoga and teaching yoga at eco lodges and off grid, you know, that warm environment with the ocean and the warmth uh, was definitely a place and yoga that helped me be more in my animal body, in my sensual nature. As you know, in our ordinary civilization, sometimes it can be easy to forget that we actually have a body. Um, driving cars, looking at computers, talking right. on the phone. It's like uh, you kind of exist, We'd almost be like a floating head or without a body. And one thing I loved about um, living there is that 
the body was very much invited into everything. You were just in the water, you were in and out of the water, you were in and out of yoga, you were teaching yoga. So, um, and, and you were on the land in nature, all things which help remind us that we're really animals, you know, ourselves, speaking of Xander, my dog, we're all, mm-hmm. we all have animal bodies that we want to be in relationship with. And that is a big part of wellness to me is remembering that and cultivating and listening to the animal body. That's a big part of wild yoga. And then also, um, I've been a guide for most of my life in the wilderness. I've basically spent a lot of my life outdoors, which I'm very, feel very fortunate for and lucky to be a guide out outside for so, so often. Um, though, you know, I, I'm completely in love with the wild world. I would say you could say the wild world might be my greatest lover of all, you know, rivers, oceans, forests, and, <clears throat> Also, just discovering that, that we're our connection and our relationship with the wild world also informs our wellness uh, pretty strongly, and uh, and and the wellness of the planet informs our own wellness too. And I think more and more that's become uh, an issue. You know, as people notice the air quality or the water quality yeah. or the and like how that impacts health. And so my book is a lot about you know, well, what do we do? You know, as the world um, is becoming more um, and more, you know, harmed and destroyed by the spread of, of cultures, you know, kind of ways of just taking up more land and people and how can we, you know, integrate our wellness plan into, you know, thinking about the future wellness for our children and their children and creating an environment that will be a healthy environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and before we started recording this podcast, we were talking a little bit about the weather and how we've both experienced such unusual winters already this season. So, um, you know, I just, it, it is, it's so important to honor our land and our resources because once they run out, they're gone. Right. And protecting it for future generations and, um, you know, whether it's air pollution or water droughts, right? Fires, even like you're in Colorado and all the the wildfires that you've been having out there in recent years. It is, it's, it's so important. And, and part of yoga, right? Is, you know, in yoga philosophy and ahimsa, which, you know, taking care of the earth as well. It's not just about nonviolence, non-harm for ourselves. It's, for the earth and and our friends and our fellow humans and our fellow animals. So yeah, I love I love that. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, you know, in the yoga philosophy, there's about union and connection and, you know, we're all connected in the relatedness. And um, you know, we can definitely feel that, you know, when our body is hurt or when I mean, I don't know if you've ever feel altered. I I live, I have lived a lot of times half my life here in the US and then a large part in Costa Rica. And I notice I have a different personality. It's like the environment, you know, affects um who we are, whatever we're in. If I'm in a city in an office building, you know, that's like a different completely different feeling than on a wild land. So how what is our relationship? to everything. And I, and I love how you, how you brought up the peaceful piece too. Cause you know, um, I have a chapter in my book that's edgy. It's called feral female ferocity. <laughs> and I, I love um, the alliteration. <laughs> I, I love, I love it because well, ferocity in general is not often recognized as a good quality Peace is the opposite. And, um, and we, I love peace. No, 
no question. I love like peace, being peaceful, like, and, you know, being relaxed. And that's a big part of yoga too. Um, but in this chapter, Feral Female Ferocity, it kind of just talks about the natural instinct to protect life. Like, you know, animals that, you know, like a mama bear that will naturally defend its babies or, uh, you know, um, snakes that might naturally protect their, their land or their territory too. You know, that things, um, in the nature, there isn't like a, a hierarchy established of who can be fierce and who can't, um, or a gender that can be fierce and one that can be can't. It's just a natural instinct when something is being harmed or in danger that you, you, you know, that that energy comes forward. And that I think that actually that energy is one of the things that, you know, helps people protect, you know, not only their families physically um, and their children, but also the family of the earth, you know, the land. Um, so uh, it's kind of like, a, it's kind of a fun chapter calling that energy back. How do we, how do we invite that natural, the healthy aspect? Obviously, there are very unhealthy aspects of violence too. I mean, we see those all the time in culture and we see those happening to the earth and to women and, you know, it, so it's not to say, oh, yeah, but it's it's just that to actually honor that there is also this healthy aspect of ferocity, too. And can we call that back mm-hmm. as part yeah. of that wellness? Yeah, I love that. So, Rebecca, tell us, maybe maybe take us through the book a little bit and what we can expect Um you know, with, with your title, right. The a practice of initiation, veneration and advocacy for the earth. Um, so maybe walk us through it a little bit and what we can expect to learn throughout the book. Excellent. Yeah. I was jumping right to ferocity. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the book, the book kind of starts out very gentle. Um, so it can meet, you know, really readers or anyone right where they are. It starts out, I think, very easy to jump in. The first chapter is just on the body. It's just on that, like coming home to, to ourselves, our body, you know, including, you know, attending the traumas and the hurts, hurt places that have been there and, you know, being present and also honoring our body as a way of knowing that there's things that come through our bodies, you know, feelings, sensations, illnesses, things that can be communications that our body is like a sacred entity that sometimes has more knowledge. I think generally has more knowledge than our mind that it, it stores secrets. And so how do we, li- how do we cultivate a relationship where we listen to it? And it also does bring in the nature connection too. that, you know, um, as far as yoga asana and, you know, nature's in yoga asana all the time is kind of what I like to say, the tree branches, yeah. the sh- you know, the shape of the lake and the way the wind blows, it's all like having this movement flow. And, you know, the original yogis were also, you know, cultivating poses with animal names, I think, in part to kind of call back our wild nature. And so it seems like one of the first steps, the first section of the book is called wild, the first six chapters. And the first step or one of the first steps seems to be calling back the attention and the care and the listening to our to the intelligence of our wild animal body. And, um, and the second chapter goes into deepening our ecological perception, which is about how can I have a relationship with nature where I hear nature, you know, which is, it's not easy because we're taught that nature is a dead and lifeless commodity in the culture, in the dominant culture, but that's not true at all. And most humans have known that for the majority of times humans have been on the planet and there's been an actual relationship and conversation happening. So 
what are the steps, even you know, just very basic? How can we start having, you know, stepping towards opening to the very real capacity that exists in our DNA to have that conversation? And uh, chapter number three, it's about the heart. And it's kind of like when we start get opening into the body, and we open to nature and we open into our hearts. A lot of times there's just so much trauma and chaos in the world that our hearts, I mean, I can, I tell my own story in the book, like my heart is like, just learn to kind of shut down. And mm-hmm. I tell the story of, you know, how did I, how did I ask for the help with nature to kind of call it back to being able to feel again and open to those feelings. So that's, you know, so we start with body, nature, heart, you know, right in the beginning. And then we get to four, which is ferocity, because, you know, that's what happens when we wake up our heart and we start feeling like the ferocity is there too. That's just like part of the general nature. And we can't, we don't want to repel that. We want to, you know, listen to that too. And then chapter five goes into love because that's, you know, receive the love of trees. And so in many ways, we're all you know, I, you could say um, we need love like oxygen uh, to exist. And yet it always seems like there's a shortage. You know, we always want uh, like love and um, and it's hard to give love if we don't feel love resourced in ourselves. And so I tell my own story with that and also my relationship with trees, which to me have been this um, endless source of love, you know, entering, receiving their love and practices to receive their love. Because to me, trees are some of the most loving beings that exist. Mm. I mean, if we even look scientifically at the way they support each other, right? you can see that they're just communal beings. Um, but I can also feel it in my own body when I've spent time with them, how I can feel them, you know, back when I was a child climbing them. And later when I was an adult, and I returned to them to try to cultivate, heal myself and cultivate uh, more love. And then chapter six, we get to um, dream in the cave womb. So then we're opening to our dreams because the dream world has all these other um, intelligences and possibilities and stories and things in our shadow and things in the world, you know, living intelligences that we can open ourselves to that take us far beyond the stories of our mind and the possibilities that of what we can already know. So um, including, you know, the mythic purpose of our soul, which has been a big part of my work with the Animus Valley Institute um, is bringing people on um, s- journeys of soul initiation to find their purpose and live their soul. And so we have, uh, I have that coming in through chapter six, beginning to come through in the dream time. So that's all in just the first third of the book. That's wild. You can see there's a steep learning curve here. We like travel, we travel terrain quickly. Uh, we start out gently, but we we, we move fast. Um, and then the other two sections of the book, one, the next section of the book, six chapters is called Holy Longing. And I can tell you a little bit about them too. And the last third of the book is called Beloved World. So holy longing overall, just to name what the whole six chapters are about, is kind of about the soul and spirit journey. Um, The first chapter is called, um, is about the sacred world, you know, entering or cultivating the sacred world, you know, soul and spirit and ancestors and um, what's our relationship? My I share my story of the relationship between organized religion and you know my own personal deep dive that doesn't have much to do with organized religion. It has more to do with like my own relationship mm-hmm. with my body, dreams, and nature, and that there is a, a way we can enter the sacred world, like as, as mystics. I, I've called myself a nature mystic, you know, I love pers- it. personally to have a relationship um, with with you know the higher powers. I think there's more than one, but no need to agree or disagree, whatever people think. I, there's To me, there's lots of higher powers than just me, lots of higher powers. Um, so how do we connect with the sacred world beyond ourselves and what's calling us into conversation? 
And um, in in the holy longing chapter, I go into like uh, the inner beloved, the love affair with the inner beloved and our muse. I go into the grief for the world, our personal griefs and grief for the world, grief for the planet. I go into core vulnerabilities, which often take us into that long, the things that make us most tender. I go into going into the dark, the dark night of the soul. And I go into um, singing our note in the symphony or like that sense of um, doing my part and also being attuned to the world and what's happening in the world. And I'll stop here because it can, it can probably get hard to explain as we um, move into later chapters because one builds on the other, but the last section beloved world really does take us uh, more into grappling some with the planetary challenges. um, And how do we bring this full body presence and awareness to, to that conversation? Mm. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of us, I'd say the vast majority of us want to do better, right, with with protecting the earth. And, um, you know, do you have any suggestions, like small baby steps that people can take? Like, for instance, I I try my hardest to use a reusable bag at at the grocery store, right, bring my own instead of you know, using up those resources, but do you have some suggestions um, for baby steps that people can take things that maybe we haven't thought about? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for asking that. And the other thing too, I'll just add into that is I know that conversation, like doing something for the earth can be very overwhelming for some people. Um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to bridge a couple worlds here, you know, the yeah. health and world and the activism world, and they're often very yeah. different worlds. Sometimes activists who fight very hard for the planet, you know, aren't so into personal health and wellness and really struggle. Exactly. And sometimes mm-hmm. people have their personal wellness get really scared to enter that other world because they're afraid they might lose their health if they do, which is a very uh, realistic fear because there is so much um, thing. There are so many things to deal with. So I think it's, it's great to be able to, to balance both. And my book has a lot of chapters because it does honor where everyone is in the journey that sometimes, like, I think I say early on that you might need to just stay in earlier chapters of the book. There's plenty of material there before moving on. Um, or maybe you're ready to move on, which is great. And, um, you know, I think it's great to do whatever we can personally to help the planet. And in, in that I've lived off grid at an eco farm, um, where I didn't use any plastic at those times. I didn't drive. I just, you know, we we grew our food and we got some local food delivered. We lived um, off grid. Um, so it, and for me, it felt great. My conversation with nature heightened. I think when yeah. we're doing things that were in sync with the earth, um, it does change the conversation and it's really powerful. And, you know, also when I look at the the whole planetary of what's happening and um, and systems of power that make a lot of the decisions about things, even beyond the personal, it becomes very complex for how can, you know, my, the thing that I'm doing make a difference. Um, And, um, and that's why, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of an advocate of what I call ecological revolution, which is, um, you know, joining in community with people to protect land. Um, joining in community with people for how to um, start talking about dismantling systems of power or or ways that um, kind of uh, the ways that our, our world is presently working that um, that is um, causing the harm. I mean, it's it, if you look at um, like personal water use, they people say, well, reduce, reduce, you know, you take shorter showers or but then when you look at the amount of water that's being used by industrial complex, it's um, something like 90% and 5% right. is 
is golf courses and another 5% is wow is personal use. So when I think, well, my, if I going to take a shorter shower, well, that, that's not to say anybody shouldn't try to take a shorter shower, a great idea, or that we shouldn't try to do all these personal things, but we also have to look at the scope of the actual problem. And to me, it seems on some level that um, to create real change, it's going to be beyond the personal. It's going to be collective, collectively organizing ourselves um, for a kind of ecological revolution to dismantle or alter the, the present systems of the industrial complex. Yeah, that's really powerful to think that we only are consuming 5% of the water. Um, you know, I guess I'd never heard it put in that perspective before. And that's really kind of a staggering number um, that it's like 90% corporations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's other statistics too, that would probably blow our minds. Um, yeah. Yeah, about the <laughs> amount of human use, uh, human use land that's been used for, like, um, in either agriculture, mining, or industry. That's part of the problem. Is just the, yeah. you know, the destroying of land for these human use only yep. things, and the need to kind of restore ecosystems, and restore land, and not let any more wild land get harmed. Um, and it, you know, in the present green policies, um, don't take those views into consideration. So we really need to re envision and re look at everything in terms of the way. Um, and, and mostly it's about uh, um, moving back to, you know, a simpler, a simpler kind of way of living. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we've advanced so quickly, right? In like the last 20 years with technology um, and, you know, people building bigger homes, great big homes and, you know, and everybody wants to be like on the water's edge or, you know, just we're just like where I live, I live in the, in the suburbs um, of Minneapolis, but I live close to rural and just seeing all the farmland that is now housing. Like it just kind of blows my mind sometimes when I drive around and I'm like, gosh, I remember when that was all farmland or that was a forest over there. And now it's just houses and grocery stores and Target, (laughs) right? It's, it's, it's profound. Yeah, I I can relate to that. I mean, as a guide in the wilderness, I've often flown or, you know, just kind of went straight to the wild place and worked with my group, which I get to be in these, you know, exquisite wild places. But when I drive to those places, I'm very conscious of like all the places that aren't wild, which is most places now that are actually just farm, agro or mining. And, um, and, you know, in my imagination, I'm like, huh, what was this all like when it was all wild? Like, can we just even remember, you know, remember and imagine back to that? What was the earth like when it was just, there was just forests and prairies covering the land, much more of the land. And uh, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, you were talking about trees earlier and that really resonated with me and just, um, I was recently this past fall, I went out to Colorado and hit, leaf peeping season like just spot on and I was in Vail with friends and we went and looked at all the aspen trees and um she explained to me how the aspen like growing colonies essentially and they're all connected at the root um and I just thought that was really really neat so when you were talking about trees I was thinking of that mm, yeah thank you yeah I love Oh my gosh, I love trees so much. And what, you know, watching them through the seasons and the way that they change and move through the cycles is so 
exquisite. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. here we are, winter just longing for them to they know. Into leaf again. <laughs> that is, you know, people just don't understand how someone can live in Minnesota. Um, but it's truly the four seasons that make it worthwhile living here and seeing the spring when everything blossoms and starts blooming and granite, there's also pollen. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, just the four seasons are just so magical here, even though it's, it can be cold and, and dreary and full of snow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great to hear your, your love of the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm a big, I road trip. I go on two to four week road trips and I always take the scenic route. I, I don't enjoy taking the freeway unless I have to get somewhere quickly. Um, but I love exploring these old towns and driving through, you know, countryside, which like you said, there's just not as much of it as, as there used to be. And I do, I often kind of daydream of like, Oh, I wonder what this was like before. And um, when you go West and there's a lot of ghost towns, right. Where it used to be a community and now it's a ghost town. And you just kind of wonder like, what was it like back then? The 1800s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Rebecca, I want to make sure we take a moment um, to mention your website, RebeccaWildBear.com. And there is a clickable link in the show notes wherever you might be listening. Um, But tell us a little bit about what people can find on your website and how to find your book. Great. Yeah. Um, You you can find my book on the website. There's uh, more information about the book and um, you can also click on and buy the book, um, from the website, my website. Um, it's also, you know, you can also probably find it in other places on the web. Um, it also has more information about me and my background. It has, uh, the different programs that I guide, um, for wild yoga. It has also, I partner with, um, different people. I mentioned the Animus Valley Institute, and, um, I also partner with other organizations, um, uh, and so there's links to the to those organizations and you can um, see what programs I'm guiding through them as well as my own wild yoga programs. I do some programs online and some programs in person. And uh, also you can read a little bit about more about wild yoga on my website. I do have a video on my website where there's a short yoga practice. It's about, um, I think, 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 minutes, um, 20 minutes wholeness practice. So mm-hmm. five minutes of wholeness in each direction. And I'm a very big proponent of just doing your own version or altering things to be more gentle for yourself, uh, to listen to your own body, but it helps yeah. lead you in a wholeness practice. Um, and then um, I also have um, um, I have a media page, which will have talks like this on it as well. If people want to listen to more interviews about the book or other things. Um, And I also have an activism page. So if people are looking for ways to connect with different organizations, I include some of the organizations that I've supported or worked with in some way, sometimes just a little bit or sometimes a a lot. But if you want to kind of get a sense of um, how you might join with other people or other people you might be able to join with, you could check that out too. Wonderful. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today. This has been such a lovely conversation. Uh, I just really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. It's been great to talk with you. Thanks for the work you do. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope you have enjoyed today's episode. 
please consider leaving a five-star review wherever you're listening to help others on their wellness journey discover this podcast. And also be sure to head over to mnyogalife.com and join our email list to stay in the know of local events and the upcoming Minnesota Yoga Conference and so much more. Thank you all so much for listening and I will see you all in the next episode.